Welcome to Spiritual Mythbusters. I'm your host, Paul Graves, and this is the place where we always share what we value as truth and promise to always share it in love. This podcast is an outreach of Bible to Life Ministry located in Northeast Florida. So if you enjoy what you hear, visit us at BibleToLife.net. That's B-I-B-L-E-T-O-L-I-F-E dot net and click on resources to view our BTL Kingdom blog, sermons, and bookstore. Now put on your spiritual thinking caps and let's dive into another episode. Welcome back to Spiritual Mythbusters. As always, I am your host, Paul Graves, and once again, I can guarantee you that today's episode will both challenge, encourage, and inspire every listener. Okay, so the title of today is How Jesus Understood the End Times. So let me start off with a quote. A scriptural understanding of Jesus' view of last things or end times is crucial to understanding the authentic person, nature, and the role of Jesus Christ. Let me just share that one more time with you. A scriptural understanding of Jesus' view of last things or end times is crucial to understanding the authentic person, nature, and the role of Jesus Christ. Okay, when believers read the Bible in context with the intent of allowing Scripture to interpret Scripture. Now, we know that 2 Peter 1.20 says this, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. So what we're saying is, is that as believers, when we read the Word of God, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, which is what we mean by context, So when believers read the Bible in context with the intent of allowing Scripture to interpret Scripture, we'll find that Jesus actually has an optimistic and victorious view of the future. I know that's contrary to what we've been taught, but it's the truth. Scripture actually portrays Jesus' view of the future as one of hope and joy, dominion, power, and spiritual authority, not a view of fear or despair, hopelessness, and defeat. Matthew 16, 6, 18 says this, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ or the anointed one or the anointed king. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, or upon this revelation, or upon this understanding, what? That I am the Christ. Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not shall not, cannot prevail against it, will not, shall not, cannot overpower it. Jesus said, I will build my church. He is building his ecclesia. Jesus is building his assembly of believers, not a local church, not a church within a community, but the assembly of believers 
the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, is being built by Jesus himself. And Jesus says that the church he builds, the gates of hell, the gates of Hades, the authorities of the underworld will not, shall not, cannot prevail against it. Man, that is good news. Hebrews 12.2 says this, Looking only at Jesus, the originator and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What did it say? For the joy set before Jesus. It was a joy for Jesus through his atonement to go to the whipping post. It was a joy for Jesus to go to the cross and die a criminal's death. It was a joy for Jesus to descend into the lower regions of the earth. It was a joy for Jesus to resurrect from the lower regions of the earth. And it was a joy for Jesus to ascend into the right hand of the Father. It was a joy. Throughout the earthly ministry of Jesus, he was very clear about his responsibilities on earth. Responsibilities to heal, to set free, declare, proclaim, and the responsibility to demonstrate. What did he demonstrate? He demonstrated love. He demonstrated hope. He demonstrated joy. He demonstrated peace. He demonstrated dominion. He demonstrated power. And he demonstrated authority. Luke 4.18 says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. See, this was the responsibility entrusted to Jesus during his earthly ministry. As a matter of fact, it's the exact same responsibility entrusted to you and me. It's the exact same responsibility entrusted to new covenant believers today in the 21st century. When Jesus' view of the last things or end times is not determined by allowing Scripture to interpret Scripture, many believers will continue to misrepresent who Jesus is. And therefore, they'll postpone Christ's accomplishments through his atonement, the finished work of Christ. 1 John 3, 8 says this, The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of of the devil. And I want to repeat this. When Jesus' view of the last things or the end times is not determined by allowing Scripture to interpret Scripture, many believers will continue to postpone the destruction of the works of the devil, which was actually accomplished over 2,000 years ago through Christ's atonement, the finished work of Christ. You see, today there are many believers believing that there are still works that Christ needs to accomplish. Works that 
he needs to complete someday in the future. Therefore, we're denying his present kingdom reign. We're denying the present kingdom rule, his present kingdom authority on earth today. So when we postpone the finished work of Christ till someday in the future, then we deny the reign, the rule, and the authority of Christ the King today, as well as denying the functional responsibility for all believers on earth as heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, as ambassadors of Christ and administrators of the kingdom of God, to which of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Or to the increase of God's kingdom, there shall be no end. Isaiah 9, 7. Wow. See, it's important to understand and it's necessary to note that the incarnation of Jesus, and when we talk about the incarnation, we are talking about God coming to earth as man wrapped in flesh. All right, the son of man. So it's important to understand, and it's necessary to note, that the incarnation of Jesus, Son of Man, was not just for the purpose of eradicating sin or putting a legal end to death and taking back the authority of Hades and the grave. It wasn't just for that purpose. As a result of Christ's atonement, the Holy Spirit was released on earth to dwell in the hearts of all who would believe. We read about that in Acts 1 verses 5, verses 8. Why was the Holy Spirit released on the earth? To empower believers to do the works of Jesus and even greater works. We read about that in John chapter 14, verse 12. To empower believers to live as Jesus lived on earth, which was how? Victorious. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. To empower the church to make known the manifold wisdom of God to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. And to empower the church to fulfill all things on earth which Christ legally accomplished through his atonement, which were the events surrounding the cross. We read about this in Ephesians 1, 18 through 23. Scripture teaches that Jesus must reign or Jesus must remain in the heavens until the restoration of all things, and all or until all of his enemies have been made a footstool for his feet. We read about this in Psalms 110, verse 1, Acts 2, verse 34, Acts 3, verse 21, and 1 Corinthians 15, 25. So, Scripture teaches once again that Christ must remain in the heavens until the restoration of all things and until all of his enemies have been made a footstool for his feet. The obvious question would be, how is making Christ's enemies a footstool for his feet accomplished? I think that's a legitimate question. If he has to remain or reign in the heavens, if Christ cannot physically return to earth, until all of his enemies have been made a footstool for his feet, then how is making Christ's enemies a footstool for his feet accomplished? Well, Scripture teaches that it's accomplished in and through his body. The church who fulfills 
all things on earth. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21 through 23. It's accomplished through believers. It's accomplished through you and me. Jesus is the head. He's the very mind and the life of his body on earth. We read about this in Colossians 1.18, leading and empowering believers to be more than conquerors, but overcomers in this world. It was Jesus himself who said that we should be of good cheer because he overcame the world. John chapter 16, verse 33. So what scripture doesn't teach is that Jesus planned for his body to be defeated by evil or to be delivered from the tribulation or sorrows of life. Even though the world has been influenced by evil as a consequence of the fall of humanity in the garden. Scripture does not teach that Jesus planned for his body to be defeated by evil. Scripture teaches that Jesus dealt with evil as a result of his atonement. And when we talk about atonement, we're talking about the events surrounding the cross. So yes, evil has zero power over believers. Matthew 28, verse 18. Romans 8, verse 17. So yes, the strong man has been bound. Matthew 12, verse 29. So yes, the enemy has been stripped of all force, all influence, and all power. We read about this in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, and Mark chapter 3, verse 27. So with that said, evil still exists in the world today. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that evil doesn't exist in the world today. Although it's the church's responsibility to subdue, which means to take dominion or authority and rule over the existence of evil. This is what we read about in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. It says that it's the church's responsibility to make the manifold wisdoms of God known to the rulers and the authorities of the air or in heavenly places. So the church is Christ's divine instrument of choice, which means believers today, new covenant believers, is Jesus Christ's divine instrument of choice governed by a new heart and motivated with love and compassion for the sole purpose of setting the captives free. This is great news. This is an optimistic gospel. This is a gospel of hope. This is a gospel of love, a gospel of compassion. This is a victorious message of Christ and his kingdom. The sole purpose, let me say it like this. I think this, this, this helps out. The sole purpose of the church in the 21st century is to set those who are lost, oppressed, sick, depressed, and possessed free from the lies and the influence of the enemy. This is Luke 4.18. So when Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and this is what he has anointed me to do, and then Jesus says, as I am in this world, so are you, which is love. 
And so Jesus was moved with love and compassion for the sole purpose of setting the captives free. Then we also, as believers with a new heart, are moved with love and compassion for the sole purpose of setting the captives free. So when I say the sole purpose of Christ in the 21st century is to set those who are lost, oppressed, sick, depressed, and possessed free from the lies and the influence of the enemy. In other words, light dispels darkness. So the brighter the light, the less darkness there is to be found in our world. That's powerful. That's Matthew 5, 25. Let me make this statement one more time. Light dispels darkness. So the brighter the light, the less darkness there is to be found in our world. Matthew 6, 10 says this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay. So through Christ's birth, the kingdom of God came with the arrival of the king. We can read about this in Daniel chapter 2, verses 31 through 45. And if you want to learn about the arrival of the king, then you can go back and listen to my podcast on episode 8, titled The Kingdom Came with the King. And I actually go over in detail how the kingdom arrived with the king and to the increase of the government and the peace of the kingdom. Once it arrives, it never ends. So I go into detail about Daniel chapter 2, verses 31 through 45. So episode 8, The Kingdom Came with the King, is an amazing teaching. Go back, listen to it. You'll be blessed. Jesus demonstrates during his earthly ministry the existence of his kingdom on earth. He even deputizes the 12 and the 70 disciples with what I call delegated authority. We read about this in Matthew 10.1 and Luke 10.1. Revealing his kingdom on earth prior to him going to the cross, not only through his actions, but through the deputizing of his disciples with signs, wonders, healings, miracles, and deliverance. This is pre-cross, prior to Jesus, becoming our atoning sacrifice and high priest, dying as a sacrifice for us, for all humanity. Romans 5, 8. So what we learn is that Scripture teaches that through Pentecost, Jesus poured out His Spirit, releasing His kingdom reign, His kingdom rule, and His kingdom authority into the hearts of all who believed and into the hearts of all those who will believe. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. So you cannot receive the Holy Spirit without receiving the kingdom, and you cannot receive the Holy Spirit in the kingdom without receiving the king. So the moment you are born again, you receive the king, the kingdom, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus empowered his church. He empowered his body on earth through the outpouring of his Holy Spirit to receive and walk in our inherited kingdom authority as heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We read about this in Romans 8 verse 17. In Ephesians 1, 
verses 21 through 23. In the book of Genesis, God had a global plan. And I think it's important that we understand this. From the beginning of time, God had a global plan. Even in the book of Revelation, it talks about how the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. So in the book of Genesis, we see that God had a global plan for his people, or God had a global plan for humanity. It was global dominion through love. God's plan has never changed. In other words, God purposed for his sons and daughters to live on the earth he created for them. Why? God wanted them to rule over the earth. God wanted his sons and daughters to subdue and govern the earth with all power and all authority as God's representatives, as God's sons and as God's daughters. In other words, he wanted his family to rule and reign on earth with all authority. We read about this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Psalms 115, 16 says this, The heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of mankind. So here's a good question to ask. Why did God create the earth for his family to inhabit? All right, why did God create the earth for his family to inhabit? Isaiah 11:9 and Habakkuk 2:14 says this or answers that question to cause or for causing the knowledge of his glory. And my definition of glory is his experiential goodness. So let me read the question again. Why did God create the earth for his family to inhabit? to cause the knowledge of his glory or to cause his experiential goodness to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, which is completely. In other words, God wanted to cover the entire earth with the experiential knowledge of his goodness, of his kindness, of his mercy, and of his love. There has never been, and this is important, There has never been a plan found within the pages of Genesis to Revelation where God purposed to destroy the earth. Nor was there ever a need for God to remove his people of faith from the earth he created and gave to the sons of men. I know it's a a powerful statement. I'll read it one more time. There has never been a plan found within the pages of Genesis to Revelation where God purposed to destroy the earth, nor was there ever a need for God to remove his people of faith from the earth he created and gave to the sons of men. Scripture actually teaches the opposite. It teaches the removal of evil while the just or the faithful remain on the earth. We see this with Moses and the sons of Korah in Numbers chapter 16, verse 32. We see this with Noah and the flood. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 12 through 13, we see this with Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19, 1 through 29. What we have to understand scripturally, when we read scripture, we have to understand is the earth has always been God's gift to those of faith. The earth was a work of love. 
the earth was a creative expression of God's desire for his sons and daughters to reign and rule with him, as him, in a world he created for them. Psalms 115.16 Through Christ's obedience to the will of his Father, Philippians 2.8, legally all things have now been restored as if Adam had never sinned. For in Adam, the word of God says, all die, though in Christ all are made alive. So Jesus, the Son of Man, was obedient, the word of God says, to the point of dying a criminal's death. He did so for why? The joy set before him. That joy was the church and her victorious future. Believers who were specifically created to overcome. Man, this is such great news. Jesus did not come to earth, minister to the hearts of men, subjecting himself to the cruelty of humanity only for his body to which he is the head to suffer defeat at the hands of a defeated enemy who has no authority or power on earth. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Let me read you these three scriptures. John 17, 15. I am not asking you to take them out of the world. This is Jesus praying to the Father. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them away from the evil one. John 17, 20 through 21. I am not asking on behalf of these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word that they all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, not some, not a few. Jesus told his disciples to make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the ends of the age. Jesus, the Son of Man. Jesus, the Son of God. And Jesus, God the Son, has an extremely optimistic view of today and tomorrow a victorious view of the outcome of his church, fulfilling all things on the earth. It was a joy for Jesus to know by succeeding in his earthly mission and his earthly ministry that he would empower his church, new covenant believers, through the infilling presence of his Holy Spirit to ultimately succeed in hers. As your host, Paul Graves, I want to thank you for listening to Spiritual Mythbusters. If you like what you've heard, then once again, visit us at BibleToLife.net. That's B-I-B-L-E-T-O-L-I-F-E dot net and click on Resources to access our BTL Kingdom blog, Sermons, and Bookstore. So until next week, always remember, if you want to see the glory of God, then you 
must release God's glory.